Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Marnie's Friends. It's always so great to spend some time with you each week here at Marnie's Friends, and uh, whether you're listening live with us today, welcome to you or to an archived or or um, a syndicated program around the web or around the air, welcome to you. Our program today is Women's Ministry Training, and our guest is Mary Farmer. The exact topic is After Domestic Violence, Helping Women Thrive, and Mary Farmer is a speaker, a father of two nonprofits, an experienced advocate, faith-based counselor and coach, and also a trainer. Her knowledge of abuse shines a light of hope into a world of abuse, and she's here to share with us some really important information for working with women who have been abused in their homes. So first of all, we're going to understand the signals that someone you know or work with may be in a, an abusive relationship so you can identify that or or even just identify that maybe you should look into it. You're going to discover ways to differentiate between normal anger and control issues and also real domestic violence because they're not all the same. You'll understand why victims often stay in an abusive relationship and what you should and should not say to a woman who is stuck. You'll learn the long-term impacts on the life of an abused victim obstacles that impede her recovery and ways to overcome them, warning signs to look for in dating relationships prior to getting married, and other resources that can help. So with all that, I welcome you today, Mary. Hi. Well, it's so great to have you, and I'm really um, just so grateful that God let us come to know each other so that you could share with us this information and for those of us on the call, like myself, who is not very familiar with domestic violence on a first-hand basis, to praise God, um, we can really use some help in understanding how to best support and best help the women around us who are experiencing or have experienced this. So right. Thank I think you. maybe um, let's ask you first how you ever got involved with women with domestic uh, violence issues. Well, it started with personal experience and going on my own personal journey and just wanting to give back to a community that helped me and just led me on a journey of advocacy and training and learning and teaching and working with over 3,000 victims. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of, that's a lot of girls. Let's talk about um, maybe just some of the signals that a person might notice in someone that they're working with, someone that they maybe do ministry with or whatever, that they might currently be in an abusive relationship. Okay. Um, I think one of the first things to look for is a change in somebody's personality. Of course, we all go through things in life where we may change and grow or, or whatnot, but a change in personality where someone might become withdrawn, they're less talkative, maybe they make excuses about why they can't come with you to something that you normally would have done together, or they're constantly breaking dates to go out to eat with you or something like that. They're just totally changing their behavior. That's a, a big warning sign. Another one would be um, change in their dress or appearance. Maybe they've totally changed the style of clothing that they wear or they're wearing inappropriate clothing for the season. Like if it's winter or I mean, if it's summer and they're wearing winter clothing, that's a, a huge red signal that they might be hiding or trying to cover up bruises. Um, excessive phone calls, texts from her partner, or you witness a significant change in just how she views relationships and that she's always constantly trying to make him happy or to change herself to please him. And you just see a total change in her personality. Those are some of the key points that we have to look for in people that we know. Wow. Um, okay, so 
these are like if you knew a person and then they entered into an abusive relationship. But it seems mm-hmm. like some of these maybe wouldn't even, you know, you would just come to know this person and you might even be able to identify some of these things if you didn't notice changes, but just notice them going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there must be a fine line between like someone who's withdrawn, um, just jumping to the conclusion <laughs> that they're being right. abused at it's- home. You know, Yeah, some people might just be going through something in life, and that's perfectly normal. But then with victims, a lot of times, like maybe they had a really bubbly personality and now they don't, or they don't make eye contact with you. That's a huge thing is that they're always looking at the ground. And some people who are shy do the same thing. So if you don't know this person really well, you might jump to a conclusion. So I wouldn't take one thing out of context. It really has to be a multi-layered look at it about the overall picture. And maybe as we talk more, some more things are going to stand out to you. And people might say, oh, my goodness, I think I know somebody that might be in trouble. Because as we talk this next hour, I think a lot of other things will come out that will also be pretty pretty apparent as we as we discuss it Hmm. well let's go ahead and talk about the difference between domestic violence and the other times types of anger or control issues that people have and maybe how to differentiate between the two and and honestly you know i i've had a question through the years about what qualifies as what the word i use is abuse you know what really Mm -hmm. qualifies as that because that might be you know uh, in someone's mind that might be um you know, a husband or father really harshly grabbing an arm. And in someone else's definition, that's not until you're hospitalized. You know, so, I mean, I'm so curious and interested to learn here what you, from working with all these domestic violence um, victims, what you kind of have narrowed down as these differentiations. Okay. Um Let's start with what abuse actually is because there's a lot of discrepancy about this. I've had a lot of victims say, well, he never physically hurt me or my abuse wasn't as bad as someone else's, so maybe I don't qualify to get help. And that's really not true. Um, The different types of abuse, of course, are physical. The physical abuse, we're all pretty – we have a pretty – clear picture of what that is with weapons and different things. So we that's pretty clear. But then there's verbal abuse, and it's the verbal abuse that victims everywhere will tell you that it's the hardest to heal from, the verbal and the emotional abuse, because that's the stuff that replays in your head for years and years and years. A lot of victims will tell you that they would rather that he hit her than for the verbal abuse because it's so much more painful. Then there's mental abuse, um, a lot of game playing and just a lot of stuff that goes with that. Spiritual abuse, which is a big one that there's not a lot of teaching on of how our faith and our faith community sometimes are used um, to victimize someone and to keep you in control. Um, Financial abuse, sexual abuse, and pet abuse is even a part of domestic violence. And all of these things play into power and control. And that is what domestic violence is. It's about power and control. It's not an anger management issue. It's not a mental illness. It's about one person exerting their power and their control over another. So that's key. So if you're talking about someone who has an issue with alcohol or substance abuse, a lot of people think that those two things can cause domestic violence, but that's not true. It can cause you to become violent, and we see that a lot. But true domestic violence would be there before alcohol or substance abuse ever came into play. So those are two really big issues that separate them. Domestic violence will already have warning signs there. There will already be behaviors that are present in the relationship before alcohol or substance abuse ever came into play. So I think those are a couple of things that people kind of get mixed up because they'll they'll say, well, he was never like this before he did this. He, He never hit me before he started using drugs or before he started using alcohol. So those are 
two things because you need to deal with those issues separately when you're looking at recovery. So I always try to pinpoint where did the domestic violence start? Did it start before a substance abuse issue or after? And then if you add in a mental illness issue like bipolar or something else that's going on, that's also going to impact it. So they're very separate issues that when you're looking at recovery and healing for the family, you have to take those issues and separate them. And it really takes a professional um, advocate, counselor, therapist to help the family kind of work through this process to get to the root cause of where does it come from. And domestic violence is learned behavior. It's not mental illness. It's not anger management. It's learned behavior. So this abusive person has learned this behavior from someone somewhere in their lifetime. And the scary thing is, is that children who grew up in domestic violence households will either, they can either tend to become abusers or they tend to become victims because that's what they learned is normal. So that's very scary for me to see all these children growing up in domestic violence households and to think, oh my goodness, you know, they're either going to think that it's normal to hit, that that's how you control and that's how you deal and you cope with life, or you learn that you have no control of your body and that other people have the right to do whatever they want to you. So Mm. it's an impact that can go on for generations to come. Toward the end of the program, if we have time, Mary, I'd like to come back and unpack these different types of abuse that you mentioned, the physical, verbal, mental, spiritual, financial, sexual, and even pet. Um, If we have time, we're going to come back and just unpack those a little bit. But for right now, we're going to go forward and talk about why victims sometimes stay in an abusive relationship. And if you have somebody in your life that you love who's really stuck there are some things that you should and should not do. We're going to talk about that right when we get back from break. So we'll be right back. What's your next step? Are you tired of scouring the Internet to find the training you need to take you from where you are today to where you want to be? Stop searching and start moving towards your goals with over 150 targeted training modules available to you at Marnie.com. You can learn how to speak, how to write, how to get published, how to get media coverage, and so much more. All available at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg, and we're visiting today with our guest, Mary Farmer, who's talking with us about domestic violence and helping women thrive after coming out of that um, victim role there into a new life where they have opportunities to really develop. And sometimes we are around someone like this, and we just don't know what to do or what to say. And, Mary, there's actually some things that we should and shouldn't say to a woman who's still stuck in uh, domestic violence. Uh, situation. Can you just take us there? Sure. Um, Let's start with some good things to say. Um, Victims that are in a relationship or even out of their relationship, they need to feel supported. And the most important thing that I think is the most valuable thing that you can tell a victim is that you believe them, that you believe their story, because they have been told that no one will believe you, that no one's going to take you seriously. And a lot of times their abuser has set up the situation so that they aren't believed. And to just have someone believe your story is so empowering and so impactful on lives. So that is the most important thing. Can I ask a clarifying question there? What what type of a thing could have an, an abuser do to set it up so that no one would believe her? Um, one thing, I think one of the biggest things is that they put on this show in front of everybody that you have a good marriage, he's a good husband, He's there, even if it's a female, because I don't want you to think that it's all males. Um, there are male victims and female abusers, sure. the majority. So I always use male, female, but... They set it up so it looks like you have this good family life at home and that you just have this great life and he's a devoted husband so that people looking on the outside won't believe it. He might even go to church and sit on a church pew and hold a position in the church and that makes it really hard for the victim to speak out 
if he holds a role in the community and he just seems like this good upstanding guy and with all the cases we've heard on the news lately i've heard these witnesses say well oh my goodness i i would never have imagined that he could right. do something it, he just doesn't seem the type it's more of a doctor or Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll kind of thing, where they appear one thing in public and they're totally different privately. So that's just one way that they will mm. they will play that role. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Another thing is that um, it's not the victim's fault to put the accountability for the abuse where it belongs, and that's on the abuser. It's a crime. It's a criminal offense. But the victim carries so much guilt and shame that he or she believes that it was her fault because that's what she's told throughout the entire relationship was if you had not done this, if you had done this better, if you had been a better wife, if you had been a better mom, if you hadn't gone here, if you hadn't made me mad, I wouldn't have had to do this. So she carries this guilt and shame inside of her. And for you to say to her, it's not your fault. You're a good person. You deserve better than this. Just empowering words. If you can just pour those empowering terms and plant those seeds in her heart that she is valuable, that can be more life-changing than anything else. Um, Reaffirming that she's not crazy that the roller coaster ride after trauma, it's ups and downs constantly. And it feels like you're crazy sometimes. And that's another thing that, that the abuser will use is to convince her that she's crazy. Nobody's going to believe you. No one's going to give you the kids because you're crazy. And what you're feeling is normal. Trauma brings on a roller coaster of emotions and it's normal to go through those things and allow her to be herself. Um, listen actively to the survivor and let her use her own words. I've seen a lot of helping people bring people into the crisis center and want to speak for this victim because they think that she's too broken to speak to herself for herself and that you know better than she does what she needs. But no one knows our lives better than we do. No one knows what's best for us better than, than we do or what our safety level is. And a lot of helping people will kind of take the place of that abuser and take on that role of trying to make all the decisions and trying to tell oh her what's goodness. best for her life. You yeah. don't need so, to that from That's scary. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you actually see this happen, that actually the helper actually steps in and becomes the control person oh, yeah. in her life? Oh, oh yeah. Especially family oh. members. I've seen family members where they have tried, they want they just want to help. They want to yeah. help so bad and they want to save her and they want to rescue her, but they end up pushing so hard that she ends up going back to the relationship because she's not allowed to make her own decisions, she's not allowed to set her own boundaries and she's not wow. learned to have a voice yet. And I remember one time we had a case um, several years ago where we had mom and dad on the phone trying to tell us what they were doing. We were like, you have to stop. You have to let her be her. You're pushing her back. And as they were on the phone with us, she had put her stuff in her car. She was actually backing out of their driveway and went back because why not be, if you're going to be controlled and not be allowed to make your own decisions, why not be in your own house with your own stuff instead of being homeless on someone else's couch without your things, without your house, maybe without your children, without any money, and you're living and sleeping on someone else's couch when you can have your own home. If you're going to be controlled and bossed around and not have any say-so in your own life, where would you rather be? And that's what a lot of victims go through. Wow. Mary, I... I can't imagine that any of the people, I mean, maybe somebody, but I can't imagine that any of the people who've stepped in to help these victims and have found themselves in that role of a substitute controller 
actually meant to do that. What would what would be some like warning signs? Let's say for me personally, if I was going to step in and really try to help someone who's getting out of a domestic violence situation, but I mean, I'm a I'm just I'm born to be a controller. You know, I really <laughs> have to submit that to God all the time. I'm in a, a lot of leadership roles and. Um, how how does one really watch their heart and watch their words and attitudes so that doesn't happen? I think one of the biggest things is the mindset that when we have a fixer mentality, we want to fix everything. And we look at victims like they are so broken that they can't make their own decisions. And that's not true. Somebody that has lived through domestic violence They've got some tenacity and they've got some strength that they don't get wrecked. To be able to survive that and come out of it alive, they should be applauded in my right. in my eyes. So to look at them and um, find ways that you can empower them to make their own decisions. As an advocate, we try to guide them and put their options on the table and then encourage them to make their own decisions because if you take on the role of making decisions for them, then you are you are taking the place of that person who has already controlled their lives. Mm-hmm. Our job as the helping friends and family is to empower them to make their own decisions and their own choices and to enable them to be able to do that. So instead of making that phone call for them, maybe you give them the phone number and say, here you go, sweetie, Um, this is a place that might be able to help you, or this is the place for this resource, but you don't do it for them. Because our first instinct is we want to take care of them and do everything for them. Now, some things they can't do because... It's, right. They're traumatized, and that's fine. We do what we what we have to do in those traumatic times, but victims need to learn how to be able to stand on their own and not become dependent on another person. So it's just a type imbalance type thing. You know, do you have kind of, and, and maybe this is obviously putting you on the spot here, but do you have a picture in your mind of, like, is she like a wounded bird? Is she like, you know, is she like a, you know, a toddler? You know, what what is the picture in your mind that you have of these gals that come out of a situation like this, so broken and yet really wanting to go forward with their life? I think each one is different. Each mm-hmm. personality is different. Each person yeah. is different. And we have to take each person where they are. But I believe that each one of them has a strength inside of them that has carried Mm -hmm. them through. Because can you just imagine being beaten Mm -hmm. up on a daily basis or weekly or all of the things, the horrors that we go through as survivors, the the outside world will never know. There's things that we share. There's things that we never share. So, Some of them are so broken, it takes time for them to get to the point where they can start making their own decisions. And then some of them are just ready to go, and they are sharp as tacks and just ready to be out there in the world and to start the healing process. So I think each person is different. Such good stuff. Okay, before we move on, let's uh, let's talk about the things we definitely must not say. (laughs) Okay, that's not what not to say. Yeah. Do we want what not to say? Yep. Okay. The big thing is why questions. Um, why were you? Why didn't you? Why did you go back? Why don't you just leave? When you start a question with why, it implies judgment. And when you imply judgment, you're re-victimizing a person by implying that if she had done something, the abuse wouldn't have happened. And that's what she's already blaming herself for all the abuse because The abuser never accepts responsibility. It's always the victim's fault. So when you ask a why question, you're reinforcing that, that why didn't you just leave? Well, why didn't he just stop? He's the one committing the crime, not the victim. Does that make sense? Right. right. Um, I know how you feel. Telling someone I know how Uh you feel. Even as a survivor, I've been through a lot of stuff but I know how I feel. I don't know how someone else feels. I'm not that person. And instead of 
showing empathy, it's kind of condescending and it's offensive to victims. Um, I just telling a victim, say, I just have to, I just think on the I know how you feel. I can't uh-huh. even I can't even imagine a single time when that's appropriate in life. <laughs> I know. It's, it's it's I think it's you fall out. Because you really never know how another person feels. You might you might come to a conclusion based on your own experience how they might feel. But you know, you could even say it that way. I can only imagine what you might be feeling. You know? But to say that you really know it, you've never been through it. You especially not with their history, not with their personality, not with how God put them together. You've never been there. I just that's so important. Yeah. Okay, what's the next one? Um, just let it go, just forget about it, move on, you need to get over it, just get on with your life, it's God's will, you're so lucky, just be thankful, at least it wasn't worse. Those are, (laughs) I don't even know where to start. (laughs) We can't really look up, you know, we've we've done some shows and training before on how to deal with people that are grieving the loss of something, and you know, it, we've talked about why we don't get more involved with people who are hurting. And this is why I think this is the big one is because we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to muck it up. We're afraid mm-hmm. we're going to say something that hurts their feelings. We're afraid we're going to do something like become the controller now in their life. You know, there's so many things we can do wrong. And, and I think it's so important for us to know that there is a God. And he can help us <laughs> if we will just shut exactly. up and listen a little <laughs> to just talk all the time. You know, it's just there are so many things that we can say that would be hurtful. And I think the most important thing, this is something I learned in chaplain training, is to listen twice as much as you talk. And that is what people who are hurting need, is someone to just listen. Someone to say that what you have, that just by listening, you are saying that they are important enough to listen to them and that you can give them a safe place to just let it out in a confidential way that can empower them to vocalize some of the stuff that they just need to get out. They don't need your answers. They don't need profound words. They don't need you to fix it or to make it better. They just need someone to listen. And I I think that is the most empowering thing that we as friends and family and ministry leaders can do is just to be that non-judgmental listening ear that you can show them the love of Christ, that if they cry, you cry with them. If they need a hug, you be the one to give them a hug. If they need a kick in the behind, you're the one that can help them get going. But we don't have to have the right words. And sometimes less is more. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's Marty Southern visiting today with Mary Farmer. Uh, she's a speaker over at womenspeakers.com. You can check out her page over there. Just go to womenspeakers.com and type in Mary Farmer, and you'll be able to see her bio and her topics and availability. She is a speaker. She's also um, an advocate and founder of two nonprofits experience faith-based counselor, coach, and a trainer. We're going to come right back and talk about why victims stay in abusive relationships and some of the long-term impacts on their lives. We'll be right back. Christian Women's Events. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian Women's Events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marty, and we're talking today with our guest, Mary Farmer. 
who's discussing with us how to help women thrive after domestic violence. Mary, let's go ahead and go back to that, uh, to point number three there, which was why victims sometimes stay in abusive relationships. For those of us who haven't been abused, of course, it, it would be, you know, clearly obvious if, you know, if all of a sudden my husband started beating me around, um, I would know, go. <laughs> At least I think I would. So how do, uh, how, how come people sometimes stay? Well, statistically, victims return seven to ten times before leaving a relationship for good. And when I talk to teens, I I always start out with, you know, when we're dating, we we start out in this relationship, we have the butterflies, you know, we have those ooey feelings, and we just fall in love, the romance and the good in that other person and that connection that we make, we fall in love with somebody. And when we are dating, we don't say, oh, I think you're going to be a good person to beat me up for the rest of my life. That's not why we go into relationships. We think that we're going to have this happily ever after. So a lot of times, we are so heart invested in these relationships that a victim is too far into it before the abuse ever happens. Now there will be every warning sign will be there before she gets married or they have children or buy buy property together. But those warning signs are there. But a lot of times we don't know what they are until it's too late and we are so committed to this relationship. We get married. We have children. We are, if we're Christian women, I would say 80 to 90% of the clients that I've served in the past eight years have had a faith background. They have a relationship with God. And so when you make that sacred, holy vow before God to honor your marriage and to work it out and to make it last, that's probably one of the number one things that holds women in abusive relationships is her faith and her belief in God and wanting him to work it out and to heal their marriage. And then you are so controlled and isolated. A lot of times a victim doesn't even know that there's help out there because she's so isolated from the world. And when she does try to leave, there's all these threats of losing her children, of losing her financial stability of being homeless, losing her transportation, where is she going to go? What is she going to do? And it is more dangerous for a woman after she leaves a relationship than while she's in it. More homicides occur after the relationship has ended than while they are together. And survivors, as survivors, we feel that. We feel that tension and we sometimes feel safer in that relationship because then we know where he is, what he's doing, and how to diffuse it. And wow. another huge issue, a lot of a lot of courts are giving unsupervised visitation to abusers with their children. And moms are terrified of what's going to happen to their children while they're on visitation. They can't control it. They can't protect them. And so a lot of moms will stay because then at least she feels like she can somewhat protect her children. So there's so many reasons. Uh, years ago, started a women's Bible study, and it was a, kind of a stretch for me at that time. And, and um, I, I was so nervous about it. And then the very first Bible study God brought um, a new believer that I just recently led to Christ, and he brought, uh, she brought a couple of gals with her, and one of the gals just right nearly, <laughs> nearly the beginning of the Bible study just um, blurted out that she was in a, an abusive relationship and and uh, she didn't know what to do. And uh, I remember, Mary, my eyes just got huge, like, <laughs> like, oh, God, 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 God. <laughs> So I had not one not one thing to say, and the lady that the the other lady that had been brought as a guest, she said um, she leaned forward and she said, "I've been I've been in a relationship, an abusive relationship," and she said, "I don't know for you, but I stayed too long," and she said, "I knew I'd stayed too long the day that my husband had a garden hose around my neck and was strangling me." And my young son came out with a gun to shoot his father. Mary, it was just this moment of just awe and shock and amazement at how God can provide help for someone 
in any situation, if they will yield, you know, this girl came to Bible study looking for God's help, and here God brought a person who could just talk to her right where she was and understand it. And there's so much fear in leaving. There's so many reasons to stay, but there's some really good reasons to leave, aren't there? There, there's so many good reasons to leave, and. I think understanding what covenant vow is and what relationship in God's eyes really is, it becomes so distorted in domestic violence. And a lot of victims see God as the scary, vengeful, scary God up on a throne with this hammer just fixing to come down on you because you've made so many mistakes and you're so worthless and less than instead of having relationship with a loving father who loves his little girls and adores them and these victims don't get it they don't understand that they're daddy's little girl and that he adores them and that he loves them so much and if I could just pour that into every victim around the world, um, violence mm-hmm. against women would not be an issue because these are daddy's girls and they're getting lost in the mess of domestic violence. And it just breaks my heart because there's, there's so much more for them in this world and in, in this life than what they've experienced at the hands of abuse. Well, let's talk about let's talk about some of the impacts that this has on a person um, over over their lifespan and, and maybe, you know, help help maybe someone who's listening to say, I really need to go. I need to start healing. I shouldn't. Um, what are some of the long-term impacts? Okay. Some of these things, um, I think a lot of times survivors will think, well, you know, I haven't lived in it in so many years. I'm better. I'm okay. And they don't even realize the way domestic violence is still impacting their life. It will impact their personal relationships, their professional relationships, their parenting. Every aspect of their life is impacted unless they deal with their stuff. So I think the biggest one is negative self-talk. We hear so many insults and so much yuck from the abuser that every time something bad happens, a victim will automatically go back into that mode of victim, you're so stupid, you're so ugly, you're worthless, you're this, you're that. And anytime anxiety or things of life that happened, it can trigger that to go back into that. And so that is one of the hardest things for a survivor to really overcome. And it really takes taking those thoughts captive and replacing it with positive things. So to me, that's one of the number one things. A lot of victims will have PTSD, post um traumatic stress disorder with nightmares, anxiety attacks, depression, isolation. They can have health issues. Chronic headaches are a part of domestic violence. Stomach issues like acid reflux and ulcers. Eating disorders, um, either overeating um, or like anorexia, bulimia, those type of things. Sleep disorders, not being able to sleep at night, having anxiety attacks at night, high blood pressure, arthritis. In children, it can be short-term memory loss and a whole wide variety of different things in children. And trust is a huge issue. Um, A lot of times we, we either go too far in trusting everybody and having no concept of appropriate boundaries and trust or we trust no one absolutely no one in this world gets our trust so trust is a huge issue boundaries is another issue that a lot of survivors struggle with that impact every part of their life whether it be their professional lives and their careers their personal relationships um friendships just being able to set a healthy boundary of what do you accept and receive from others and what do you give in appropriate healthy relationships because if you've never experienced a healthy relationship it's hard to know okay. what it looks like and yeah. that was very mind blowing for me when i realized that i had never experienced a healthy relationship so how could I be expected to know how to live in one because I'd never seen one in my whole life? So learning what healthy is 
and to set those appropriate boundaries. That's a long-term impact. Uh A lot of survivors are those fixers that struggle with saying no, that they don't want to hurt people's feelings. They don't want to let people down. They are afraid you won't love them if they tell you no. And so I think almost every victim that I've had in a support group has struggled with being able to tell people no without feeling guilty. And so they take on too much. They're stretched too thin. They're overwhelmed and they're stressed because People take advantage of that inability to say no, and so that adds to their anxiety and PTSD and all of the other stuff, and it's a vicious cycle. And some have permanent injuries. Some end up with addictions because they've self-medicated trying to numb the pain, whether it be prescription drugs or alcohol or illegal drugs. I had no idea how much I would have to deal with addictions. Um, I had never struggled with that, so I had to learn a lot. I didn't know anything about that world and what addiction can do. So that's really scary. A lot of survivors end up with some kind of self-medicating habit to try to numb the pain. And they struggle with their relationship with their children, A lot of times children just kind of fall by the wayside during abuse. Moms do the best they can. Some are really great moms and some end up emotionally shutting down. And no matter what that relationship is, there's always this struggle of trying to rebuild this relationship and trying to build a healthy life with your children after abuse, especially if dad is still involved or mom, whichever the abuser is. If that other person is still involved in in the life, it can just cause constant lifelong issues and struggles. Um, Self-worth and value, a lot of survivors, they never learn how, how valuable they are and how worthy they are of being loved and being treated well. A lot of them have no credit that... Um, What we've seen a lot is that the abuser will sneak in open credit cards or secret accounts and put a lot of debt and a lot of credit issues in the victim's name because Mm -hmm. that helps to keep her in that control. He can control Mm -hmm. her because she doesn't have options to leave. So learning to rebuild her credit, and some of them are fraudulent, having to get the fraudulent things removed from her credit, things that she didn't even know about that were put in her name, it impacts um, her ability to rent or purchase a home, to uh, buy a vehicle. A lot of employers check credit now, so it really keeps the abuser's control for years to come over that victim while she tries to rebuild her credit. So that's a huge mm-hmm. issue. And then trusting their own ability to make decisions. That's another big one because a lot of times survivors will get stuck in fear because they're afraid they're going to make the wrong decision. And so they don't make any decisions at all. And so sometimes they can't move forward in life just out of simple fear. They sure. live in constant fear. So those are those are some pretty big issues uh, that if she doesn't wow. have support or help, that she can stay stuck. So this is Marty Sucker. We're visiting today with Mary Farmer, a domestic violence counselor and advocate. And we're going to come right back after break and talk about obstacles that can impede a victim's recovery, ways to overcome it, and warning signs to look for before you get involved with someone whose cases will be right back. Womenspeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit Womenspeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marty Slezak. Our guest today, Mary Farmer, is one of the speakers over at womenspeakers.com. You can just go to womenspeakers.com, type in Mary Farmer, F-A-R-M-E-R, and her information will come up for you there, and we encourage you to do that. 
Mary, we're coming down to the end of this program, and we've got a lot of ground to cover yet. What are some obstacles that impede a victim's recovery and ways to overcome those? I think we've talked about a lot of them already, about a lot of the obstacles. Um, the ability to obtain employment. I've seen some victims who have been married since they were really young have no job skills, and so they feel really stuck because they've never worked. They've been very controlled. Um, their financial situation, they have no family support system, no church support system. They are constantly harassed by their abuser. They have limited education and sometimes no transportation if you live in a rural community that doesn't have public transit. Those are huge obstacles that can often keep a survivor from moving forward, but also keeps them from leaving because those are huge issues if you don't have any place to go for help. Yeah, so, I, go, go ahead. ahead with some ways to overcome then. Okay, these are the good things because I think a lot of survivors just feel like how I feel and the things that I'm carrying inside of me, I'm always going to carry. And that's so not true. You can be as free as you want to be. And that is my message and my hope today is that someone today will learn some ways that they can be free. One thing I want to say is to take one day at a time that you don't have to fix everything. And a lot of survivors feel all the pressure to fix all of these issues in their life and to make all these decisions. And I just say take one day at a time and breathe. Do what you can in a day. And it's okay if you can't fix it all. You're not going to be able to. But to give yourself some grace, that's one way to overcome um, fill your life with positive things. Positive in equals positive out. Don't sit around and watch negative movies and uh, these sappy things that are going to take you down this low road. You've got to fill your life with positive things. Get up off the couch and move. If you don't feel like going out of the house, at least take a shower, get dressed, put on some makeup, do your hair. Do some positive things to change your environment because that is so important because it's really easy to get sucked down into that negative depression and the self-pity and listening to that negative self-talk. You've got to put positive in. Um, counseling is so important, whether it's faith-based, a professional licensed counselor. Um, I really suggest somebody that's trained in domestic violence because if you don't understand the cycle of violence, it's really hard to be able to pinpoint those key things that are so prevalent in domestic violence. So a trained counselor and peer support group. Oh, my gosh. Crisis centers offer peer support group and it's other survivors coming together and supporting one another. And it is so empowering to hear that you're not alone and that other people know and feel and have experienced similar things to what you've gone through. Um, crisis center services are so important. There are so many shelters and crisis centers around the country with trained advocates that can provide information and referral and support services to survivors even after they're out of their abuse. If not just for the knowledge that they can share, it is so empowering and so life-changing to have an advocate in your corner. Um, find somebody that you can talk about it, being able to get it out. If you, can't, if you don't get it out, if you try to stuff it, it's going to become like an infected wound in your heart, and that infection is going to impact every area of life. It has to come out. Um, journaling is so empowering, and it's so liberating to be able to just write it down and get it out. Recognizing triggers all survivors have triggers, and there are ways to overcome them. I look at triggers as a challenge, and I see, if I see a trigger, I'm like, oh, no, you are not stealing one more day, one more moment of my life. I am taking power and control back, and I am overcoming this trigger in the name of Jesus. That's how I overcome them. But there's mm. exercises and things that you can do to overcome triggers. They don't have to control your life. Mm. Um, taking negative thoughts captive. The Bible says to take your thoughts captive because we're fighting spiritual warfare. And those negative thoughts, 
you take them captive and you replace it with a positive that I am a, I am a child of the most high God. I am the head and not the tail. And you just, you just take that negative junk and you toss it out and you replace it with a positive. Those are all huge ways to overcome. And one that there's a lot of different things about, but forgiveness, Forgiveness does not mean the relationship has to be restored. And I think that's what holds a lot of survivors back is because they feel like if they forgive, it means they have to take that person back or go back into an unhealthy relationship. And they don't understand that that is not what it means. It means that you are letting go of that, those feelings inside of you and it's for you. It's not for that other person. And that forgiveness has to come in your time. It's a choice that we make to forgive. And I think sometimes victims feel like forgiveness has to be an all or nothing thing, that you have to give it all at the altar and that it's all going to magically go away. But then they get up and they go home and all this stuff comes back. It's layer upon layer of hurt. And those layers, God needs to heal them one at a time to help you have the strength to be able to continue on to the big stuff. And sexual assault victims struggle with this so much, too, because there's so many layers of hurt when it's years and years of abuse to try to overcome it. And a good counselor, a faith-based counselor, a mentor that truly understands forgiveness can be so life-changing and helping them walk through forgiveness. Those are some of the main things of overcoming. You can truly change your life. Wow. Such good stuff. I just got pages of notes. (laughs) Really great, really great stuff here. So real quick, like in about two minutes here, share with us some of the warning signs that a person, maybe a young woman, can look for in a dating relationship before she gets married and into trouble. Okay. Jealousy, number one warning sign. Jealousy is not love. Possessiveness won't let you have friends, won't accept breaking up, is controlling, is bossy, gives orders, makes all the decisions, doesn't take your opinion seriously, is scary where you feel like you're walking on eggshells. You always worry about what you're saying. You don't want to cause a reaction. They threaten you. They own weapons or use weapons. Um, They are violent, have a history of fighting, brags about mistreating others, pressures for sex, and thinks women are sex objects, um, gets too serious about the relationship too fast, that's a huge warning sign, abuses drugs or alcohol and pressures you to take them, blames you when they mistreat you, it's always your fault, says you provoke them, press their buttons, has a history of bad relationships. They believe men should be in control and powerful and that women should be submissive with that king of the castle mentality. And last but not least, your friends and family warn you about the person or told you that they were worried for your safety. Moms are a lot of times smarter than what we want to think they are. And that if Mm -hmm. someone warns you, it might be a good thing to listen. Wow. Wow. What a list. That's just amazing. And the thing is that, um, you know, when I, when I was dating Dave, I I had made the decision before I started dating that whenever I fell, really, <laughs> before I was going to fall in love, I was going to take whoever I was falling for around and have him meet my, you know, obviously parents, but then grandparents and like my youth pastor, the people who knew me best and loved me most. And I really wanted to hear from their perspective, what do you think of this person? and uh, to be with them a little bit and, and let them give me some feedback. And I, that is something I've highly recommended to everybody ever since because <laughs> people who love you truly do love you. They love you. And uh, when you have people who love you with God's love, they will tell you, and you need to take take that counsel to heart. I totally agree. <laughs> uh, well, we are out of time here today. Mary, thank you so much for being here and this was just amazingly powerful information. You guys that are listening, you need to get a copy of this and get, download the MP3 from Blog Talk Radio or from Marnie'sFriends.com and uh, or from the station that you're listening to it on and, and share this with uh, the women you know, women in your church, women you know. Mary, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. 
Oh, sorry. And you guys can learn more about Mary over at womenspeakers.com. Womenspeakers.com. Just click on Mary or go over there and then search for maryfarmer.com, F-A-R-M-E-R, and you will find her there. Thanks. You have a great time and day, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, Marnie here to tell you about my amazing March Madness sale over at Marnie.com, including the sites womenspeakers.com, womenseventsinfo and more. What mission has God placed in your heart? Will you let me help you? When you participate in the training and connections and group coaching over at Marnie.com, your entire life will be affected personally, as a wife, as a mom, as a manager, author, speaker, women's ministry leader, event planner, or whatever. It is so fun to serve so many people through this online mentorship program, including publicity, training, and coaching services. Like Tangela from Australia wrote, I searched the whole net over to find this information and your website was the most helpful. And while Marnie.com and its sub-sites get millions of hits a month and we've served hundreds of thousands of guests, we've never been in a position to provide March Madness deals like this before and these offers will only last through March 2015. So take action right now by going to Marnie.com and clicking on the sale poster. So do you want some examples of special offers? If you've ever wanted to enjoy one of my 12 books, now's the time. When you buy one, you'll get another one free. Plus, I'll add the bonus of the e-version of both books at no additional cost. So this is like a BOGO, a buy one, get one sale. Plus, I'm going to give you a bonus in addition to your one free, which just you just can't beat that. <laughs> okay, so how about the theme sets? Do you love theme sets? There's 32 theme sets now, and these are going to help make your event planning go so much easier. And you can have ready to personalize and print posters and bulletin inserts and tickets and all kinds of great ideas for your events that are theme-based. Just right now, during the March Madness sale, when you buy one for $12.95, you get another one free. Plus, I'm going to throw in the entire event planner training set, which includes over 24 targeted training sessions with experts free. This <laughs> is probably crazy. And if you want all of the theme sets, that's a $99 ticket, but I'll throw in an entire year of everything else free. That means that you get access to all of the trainings, all of the theme sets, all of the ebooks, and everything else for one year for just 99 bucks. So let's talk about training modules. We've got seven sets now with over 24 individual 60-minute training sessions with experts, including the download notes, Sometimes it's an ebook, sometimes it's a chart, sometimes it's a step by step, sometimes it's a fill in the blank. Everything that supports all of the 24 plus individual modules within each of these seven sets. And the seven categories include life, wife, and mom training, author training, plus training for speakers, managers, and small business owners, event planners, and women's ministry leaders. Now, how in the world can I mentor in all these categories? Because this is what I do. This is who I am. I was a women's ministry leader for 20 years. I planned events from 10 to over 1,000 people, sometimes with very short notice. I own and manage our own two local businesses, a retail store and a restaurant, plus this online business. I've written 12 books. I've spoken for large corporations and government organizations and churches and all kinds of things. And I am a wife of 33 years and the mom of three great adult children. So when you buy one training set for 99 bucks, I'm going to throw in a full year's membership that's access to everything in the mentorship program. So 99 bucks is going to get you a 249 value right now during March Madness over at Marnie.com. If you are a speaker looking to get the word out, I host WomenSpeakers.com and you can get bonuses and a BOGO if you register by the month, by the year, or for life as a speaker for a full page profile. Also, if you're an event planner, I host the only directory of its kind where people can find out which major Christian women's events are coming to your area and so you can, again, register for the month, a lifetime, or whatever and get a bonus with that one too. That's womensevents.info. But most important, if you have ever wanted to become a success principles coach or to get in on the lifetime mentorship program at Marnie.com, now is the time. It's never been this fun to get involved with Marnie.com. The Spy Coach Certification Program sells all alone for $999. The entire mentorship program is valued at over $3,000. But right now during March, you can get it all for $249. No kidding. This sale is not going to last and it may never be repeated. So act now at Marnie.com. If you're looking for time management help, like Pat McKeever, the co-owner of Young's Bay Resort, wrote, Marnie's training helped me be more productive by teaching me how to get myself moving. <laughs> it's all available at the BOGO Plus bonus sale over at Marnie.com. 
Are you a ministry leader? Rosemary Davis Shepherd, a women's ministry leader from Texas, wrote, I prayed and asked God to guide me and place people in my path who can help me to make this a ministry that will glorify God's name. Now, who did he send to my rescue? You. More than helpful. Everything I needed was here. Simply awesome. And if you're a speaker, Jill Richardson, a speaker at the site, wrote, I got a With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.